hello everybody welcome into another edition of the remnant leadership podcast i'm your host larry raglan coming to talk to the remnant leaders today as we do each and every time on this podcast make sure you follow this podcast make sure you give us a five-star review that will help us tremendously 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 and just as big is to share this with somebody just click that share button on whatever app you're using send it to a friend send it to a family member send it to a co-worker send it to somebody you love send it to somebody you don't even love just send it to somebody especially and i hope you love everybody if you're on this podcast as a remnant leader especially if you know somebody in leadership whether it be a pastor a leader a business owner uh, it doesn't matter if they are in some type of influence they need this podcast in this moment because we need to remember and we need to know that we are a part of the chosen generation in the midst of the great falling away in the midst of all the chaos and the mess that's going on in this world there is a remnant rising and every movement there is has to have a leader and that's what the remnant leadership podcast is about that in the midst of the remnant there are leaders that are rising up so today's topic that we're going to talk about is positioning yourself for kingdom success and i, and I know you want to be successful in life because all leaders are driven to be successful uh, but in this podcast we are the remnant leadership podcast we're not just trying to teach you how to be a good leader although we are doing that we're also trying to keep you focused on why you are a leader and why God trusted you for this moment because he is counting on you to not just be a leader, but a remnant leader in this moment. So today's topic, positioning yourself for kingdom success, is based on a very famous passage that most people that's ever been in church ever at any point in their life, and certainly as a leader, uh, you've studied scripture as part of the remnant, and you know this passage and you know this story, but it's good for us sometimes to be reminded. But in Matthew chapter 16, uh, the Bible says that Jesus came and was actually sitting down, uh, spending some, t- some time with his disciples uh, as often he would speak in um, parables to the crowd, to the masses, and then he would spend some private time with his disciples, and they would ask him questions, or he would break down the parables, the deep meaning of the parables, and, and, you know, go a little bit deeper in the kingdom. I've often said, and I think I've said on this podcast probably several times, that uh, we all know what the most important thing that Jesus ever did for mankind, and that was to come and live a sinless life and uh, die on the cross, sinless, uh, and become sin, and you know, come off the cross, be taken and put into a borrowed tomb, and three days later come back from the dead, ascend to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and send the power of the Holy Ghost to us and establish the church. I mean, that's a lot of stuff, but all that encompasses the plan. It all encompasses the purpose of Jesus coming here. And that's the greatest thing he ever did, is make a way for us to be redeemed. But I think it's almost, not quite, but almost equally important to know what the second uh, greatest thing he ever did, and that was to spend private time with his inner circle, the twelve disciples, to pour into him, pour into them the kingdom principles that would cause them 
to be successful in the kingdom. And, and a kingdom success means that the Great Commission would go forth. Now, of course, we know that Judas messed up. One out of 12 ain't that bad of a ratio. <laughs> if you've ever pastored, you would know that's a pretty good number. Well, of course, he was replaced, and the 12 you know, still continued to be the foundational stones for the church. But in one of those situations, one of those times where he had talked to, to the masses and came back and was sitting around talking, uh, doing that second greatest thing he ever did, just spending time with his disciples and, and answering their questions. But a lot of times it wasn't just him answering questions. It was him asking questions because it was, it was pretty much as important to Jesus to, to know, to ask the questions and to hear them confess it and speak um, that they got it. Because he understood, you know, I'm speaking right now as Jesus in, in, in just sort of paraphrasing, you know, so many times what he said in scripture, he, you know, have seen the father, you've seen me, he revealed himself as the Messiah, he did all the miracles, but he continued to, to, to cast a vision for the church. They didn't realize that's what it was, but he did. He'd say, these things you do, greater shall you do if I go to my father. So he was continuously telling them how important they're going to be to the plan, how important they're going to be to his big picture, and that is not just salvation, but the establishment of his body, establishment of the bride of Christ. And, uh, you know, he knew that he would come back from the dead, but he also knew that he would have to go back to his home, to heaven, and sit at the right hand of God the Father forever interceding for us. So multiple times during his ministry, he would ask questions. He would he would bring them into situations to hear them respond, to know if they've got it. And uh, if they hadn't fully got it, they would. Uh, Jesus would, of course, go deeper to make sure they had it because he understood that when he went away and sat at the right hand of the Father, if he had not taken the time to pour into these uh, disciples and then the disciples begin to duplicate themselves and so forth that the message of the gospel would not have survived probably two possibly three generations uh, because every generation has to continuously know the story tell the story and know why we need to know the story and know why we need to tell the story so here we are over two thousand years later and the message is still going on even though jesus is not walking here in bodily form the message is going on and the kingdom is being successful. The kingdom is being advanced. Remember, that was the message of Jesus Christ. You know, he came to preach the kingdom. First message he preached after he's baptized by his cousin John and then went into the wilderness and fought the devil personally. He came down off the mountain, the Bible said, in power and began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, uh, you know, as he went through his ministry, he would say things like the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who sowed seed. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a woman. The kingdom of heaven is likened to this situation. He was continuously trying to get them to understand the kingdom because that is ultimately why he came. He came to save us. He came to redeem us, but he came to redeem us to his kingdom. So kingdom success is paramount to the will of God for your life. So that brings us back, as I'm saying, I got off on a little rabbit trail there, uh, about 
you know, one of those days where he had been teaching the masses and then he came, he came back and he sat down uh, with his disciples. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom or who do you say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, now watch this. This is a response to his answer. Peter's answer, Simon Peter's answer was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let me back up even further before I continue to read this. That was the answer to this question. He starts off by saying, who is everybody saying I am? Well, they start popping off everybody that, they, that they've heard people say that Jesus is. He goes, okay. What they didn't realize is it was a setup question. It was a, the follow-up question was the real question. The first question was, I want to get them talking about who the world and even the religious and even some of the ones that are following me think that I am. Uh, and, you know, I'm not faulting them. I'm not begrudging them because they don't really get it and they don't really know who I am yet. They know that. You know, they've saw John the Baptist do some of these things. They've heard the stories of Elijah. They've heard the stories of Jeremiah. They've heard the stories of the prophets. So the things they've seen me do already and heard me say, yeah, granted, are similar to the things that these other guys have said. Okay, I'm not going to get mad that they said that about me. Really, what I really want to know is you've heard them say all that, but who do you say that I am? And what he was saying is he was getting at, do you think I'm John the Baptist? Do you think I'm Elijah reincarnated? Do you think I'm Jeremiah coming back in the flesh? Do you think I'm just a prophet? Do you think I'm just a teacher? Because your answer that you're about to give me is going to show me if you're ready to be a success in the kingdom. If you are positioned for kingdom excellence. Who do you say that I am? Now, of course, the big mouth spoke up. I can relate to Simon Peter. He spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the son of the living God. That's, that is that you are the Christ means you are the Christos. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. So they declared you are the promised Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, now listen to this. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now listen. We quote this scripture all the time. My God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, yes, that is huge. That is what he said. You are Peter. Petros means little rock, not Petra. Petra means rock. Petros is Peter. Basically, what he's saying is, you know, I say unto you, little rock, on this big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not that the gates of hell couldn't prevail against Peter. It's the gates of hell couldn't prevail against the church. 
And the reason the gates of hell cannot prevail against it is it is based on the bedrock confession that to this day is in, is absolutely important. If you do not know who Jesus Christ is, you can't just say, God, forgive me, and believe in some concept of God. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God. He is the Messiah. He is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And that is the bedrock foundation that comes with everything else in the kingdom. But we always just quote it, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And some quote the rest, but most people leave out verse 19. And I want to tell you something. It's just as important, if not more important than the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I'll give you the keys or access. That's what the keys are. Keys are access to get in, to open doors, keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You, you have the ability to literally bring heaven down. Bring the will of heaven, which is the will of God, which is the environment in which God exists, in your life. That is the ultimate success. That is the ultimate kingdom success. So this podcast is about positioning yourself for kingdom success. The first part of positioning yourself for kingdom success is you got to have access. You got to have the keys to the kingdom. And the only way you get the keys to the kingdom is that you have to know that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Certainly the first step, it's, it's elementary, is you must be born again. You must have asked Jesus to come into your heart. Because when, when you are born again and you become a new creation, that's the first step of positioning yourself for kingdom success. Because the reality is this, you can't be successful in the kingdom if you're not in the kingdom, okay? You can't be outside of the kingdom. You can't be living outside the, the, the palace and declare yourself to be in a place of rulership in the palace. I mean, that's a joke. You're a joke, okay? It's the age-old saying of uh, Dr. John Maxwell, if you think you're a leader, look behind you. Is anybody following you? If, you're not, if there's no one's following you, you're taking a walk. I mean, that's a powerful statement. But, but it's just as silly is for you to live outside of the gate, never, never have access to get into the palace, never have, have the key or the password or the code to get in, but yet tell everybody in the world that, that you are a leader and that, you, that everybody knows that you're a success inside the, inside the palace. Nobody even knows you in the palace because you have not, I mean, you, you, don't, you have no rights, you have no authority in the palace, but when you've been given the keys to the palace, then you got access to the palace. So, so you can't position yourself for success if you've not first understood that bedrock confession that Peter said. Okay. You know, so let's just hit some random thoughts here. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list. I'm not saying that, that I'm an expert on success in, in, um, secular life or even an expert of success in kingdom life. But I can tell you this, that some of the quick principles that I'm going to tell you are certainly principles that will position you for kingdom success. Now, the first thing you need to realize is kingdom success is not always aligned with our idea of success in the world. So in other words, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're successful in the kingdom. Just because, and I'll tell you something else, just because you can preach good or, or motivate a crowd, I should say, or be so talented that people will respond to you or grow a big congregation, have a big giant building, uh, have, you know, 
um, 150,000 followers on Instagram and, you know, have, you know, 1.2 million people following you on YouTube. All those things are great. And all those things are legitimately successful, but that does not mean you're successful in the kingdom because when you're successful in the kingdom, you will be promoting the kingdom. You will not be promoting yourself. Success comes from God. True success comes from God. Um, and I'll say it's true, obviously, kingdom success comes from God. I want to read this from the New Living Translation. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 says, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. Okay, I'm going to read that again. It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting, that's key, lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. So God desires for you to have success in so many areas of your life. He wants you to have success in your marriage, your relationships, your family, your finances, your job, your business, your church, your ministry. Everything that you put your hands to, God wants you to be blessed. But... We're not talking about just being a successful person. We're not talking about being the number one real estate agent in your agency or the number one, you had the number one sales numbers uh, in the last quarter or, you know, your construction company is now booming. It's one of the most highly recommended. Um, You know, I could go on and on and on. Like I said earlier, your church is big. You know, people think that, excuse me, that you, you know, you're a success because you got this big church and so forth. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about kingdom success. Okay. So kingdom success, we've got to ask a few questions. The first question I want to ask you is this, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want it? Uh, listen to this. First Corinthians nine twenty four says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Listen, how bad do you want it? Are you just in the race? Are you in it to win it? Okay, now you're going to hear me parallel some terms that sound like I'm talking about secular success versus kingdom success, but I'm not because you're not trying to, you know, you're not running the race against a fellow minister or a fellow leader. You're running the kingdom race, quite frankly, against yourself, against your your flesh, against your past. But you're also running against the kingdom of darkness. You want to win this race. You want to take out the influence of the enemy. So I love what he says. He says, everybody runs the race, but only one receives the prize. When you run, run in such a way that you may obtain it. So success is not easy. Ministry is not easy. And quite frankly, if you're trying to influence people, and that's what leadership is, it's very difficult for people to identify with you and connect with you if you've just had uh, tiptoe through the tulip's life and you've never had struggle. People relate to people who have had struggles. So when you're running this race, it's not an easy race. But you got to ask yourself, how bad do you want it? You know, a lot of times things, tough times come before great blessings. You think about a woman who's pregnant with a child. She's carried that child for nine months, and it's time for her to hold this baby that 
has been growing inside of her. It's just going to change her life. I mean, there's nothing like the love of a mother. She doesn't wait till the child is here to love the child. She loves the child from the time she finds out that she's pregnant. And a good mother talks to that baby all the way through and just gets excited and starts thinking about the world that she's going to get to live with this beautiful child when this child comes in the world. But you know what? Right before the success comes, right before the baby, which is the ultimate success, comes forth and is laying on her chest and she's feeding the child and nourishing the child, there comes the travail of birth. There comes the labor pains. It's very difficult. It's very painful. It's a, it's a, it's a part of a woman's life that is of extremely difficult time. But she has to go through that to produce the blessing. And kingdom principles, will all kingdom success will always come as a result of you pushing through and fighting through opposition and struggle. So, number one, I'm going to ask you that question. How bad do you want it? Because you're going to have to want it bad. You want to be a kingdom success? You're going to have to set yourself, anchor yourself, plant yourself, stand against the devil. I love Ephesians um, chapter, you know, Ephesians talks about the uh, armor of God. Chapter six, he says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore, stand, therefore. So when you've had all, when you've done all to stand, then guess what? Just stand. So how bad do you want it? Another question I want to ask you, you know, do you know what you want? It's, it's what, what does kingdom success look like for you personally? Because you know what? God has a kingdom vision for the whole church. He has a church. He has a bride vision. But he also has a vision specifically for you. Do you know what God's vision is for your life? Do you know what God's vision is for your life? You know, Jesus knew his vision. Okay? And remember, before you pop off, well, yeah, because he's God. Of course he knows God. Remember, when he's here on earth, He never did anything as God who happened to be man. He did everything as man who happened to be God. So, you know, we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He he it begins to it's it's time. He he knows why why he's there. He knew this was coming, but when the flesh began to realize what was coming, he says something that just shocks a lot of people every time they read it. That the that God who had became flesh, the word that became flesh says, Lord, if there's any way possible for this cup to pass from me, let it be. And so for a second there, the enemy is just, the Bible said the agony on his, on his body and his mind and the stress level had become so elevated that the sweat coming out of his sweat glands turned to blood. It's unbelievable, y'all. This is a true medical condition that uh, that is, you know, factually in the medical logs. People know that it's very rare that someone would go through that, but we do know that that it does happen, and it happened to Jesus. But immediately, immediately, because he knew the vision for his life, he said, "But not my will, but yours. Will, your will be done." In other words, you and I are so linked. My vision is your vision, God, my Father. I remember, remember he said, I don't go anywhere unless the Father tells me. I don't say anything unless the Father tell, tells me to say it. So he was so aligned with the vision for his life. And he t- was teaching us as an example, there's going to be times that you're going to literally think there's got to be another way. 
please, God, let there be another way. But when you are settled, when you are rooted, when you know what God's vision is for your life, then I'm going to tell you something right now. Nobody can stop you. And I'm going to say this, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I know what God's vision is for my life. Now, now do I know every single jot and um, tittle and every little whatever? No, but I'm going to tell you right now, I know what God's called me to do. And, I, and I've known God's vision for my life to some extent for over 30 years now. Now, it has evolved over the years, but at the core of everything, I've always known the simple vision for my life. I've always longed, longed to do something great for God. I'm never satisfied no matter what has happened. I'm content, but I'm not satisfied. I'm determined. The vision for my life is to do something great for God, not something great for me, something great for God. And over the years, I've been mocked. I've been questioned. I've been ridiculed. I've been slandered. I mean, I'm talking about people said some horrible things about me and my wife and my family to try to destroy us. But it's okay. You know You know why it's okay? Because it took me a while to realize this. Uh, they're lashing out at me because they don't understand me. They don't, It's not their vision. They look at my vision. They look at the drive that's in my life. They look at the focus that's in my life. And, they, you know, quite frankly, jealousy comes in sometimes. But more than anything, a lot of it's just misunderstanding. They don't know my vision. So their kingdom success cannot be my kingdom success and vice versa. I have to do what God has called me to do. You have to do what God has called you to do. If you want to do something great for God, you're going to have to get a vision. You're going to have to know your vision. But let me just tell you something. I, I, could, I could easily tell you what vision is, but it would be easier for me to tell you what vision is not. Vision is not purpose. It is not purpose. We interchange those words all the time. Vision and purpose are not the same. Vision is not destiny. Your vision for your life is not your destiny. Your purpose is literally that, the purpose for which you were created. Your destiny is where you're going to end up, whether it is a destiny of this season, this season is taking you to a destiny, or we all eventually have the destiny of the end of our life, where God is taking us in our life, in that journey. Vision is simply what, and we try to make it too, too spiritualized, but let's just tell it what it is. Vision is uh, your ability to see, your ability to navigate, it's just like your eyes you know, give you vision. Vision is God's tool that he puts in your arsenal that allows you to stay focused. Vision and focus are terms that are used interchangeably. Your vision can change when your focus is out of focus. So throughout your life, you need vision adjustments. You need focus adjustments. But as long as you have a vision, you can see. God gives you night vision, too. You can see in the night uh, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, the, the gift of discerning of spirits, you know. You can see through walls. You can see through situations when you're being led by the Holy Spirit and by vision. So get a vision. Okay, let's continue. Now, so those are the two questions is, do you know, how bad do you want it? And do you know God's vision for your life? Because if you want it bad, and you're determined that nobody's going to stop you, and you know at least uh, this juncture of your life, you know the vision for your life. You may not know your eventual vision. You may not You may not know what you're going to be able to see in the spirit this time next year, but you know what you can see now, and it's driving you. Then here's some principles that that if you'll just do a few, and this is, this is literally like 
less than 10% of some of the things that I could talk about. These are just some that I pulled out. And, and they're not going to be as deep and spiritual as you think they're going to be. Number one, don't, do not love praise for yourself. Okay? Do not get lost in praise for yourself because by definition, we're talking about success. And the more you become successful, the more people are going to identify that. And they're going to tell you how great you are. You know, the old saying is, you know, don't read your own press clippings because that's true. Because if you start reading all your good press and even your bad press, it will it will take your focus off. But I'm talking most mostly about the people won't tell you how awesome you are. God starts using you in the altars to minister to people and you see miracles happening. Guard your heart. Because people will be like, you're so anointed. You're so powerful. Oh, my goodness. I've never heard a preacher like you. I've never seen anything like that. Be careful. Because that will feed you and it will infect you and it's like a virus. Listen to how the New Living Translation says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Therefore, as, scripture, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. If you want to boast in king and be in kingdom successful, boast only about the Lord. As I said, praises of men can be a dangerous thing. You know, you think about Paul. Paul would not let people worship him. He would go into a town and, and he'd start hearing people say, you know, we baptize in the name of Paul. And Paul would stop. Oh, don't you do that. It ain't about me. It ain't about me. Paul's probably one of the most educated people to ever exist in the church and certainly probably one of the most educated people to ever exist in the first several ages of the church. Uh, but, you know, he didn't go around bragging on that. He was a humble servant, and uh, he was beaten. He was stoned, left for dead, thrown in prison. I mean, so many things, shipwrecked. I mean, he'd gone through so much stuff, and 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 he didn't, you know, pull the Paul card. He didn't pull the, I spent three years with Jesus in the wilderness of Arabia, blah, 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 blah. No, he didn't. He never made it about himself. He always made it about Jesus. Remember what he said? He said, I, I came not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. He also said, I care not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he talked about the preaching of the gospel confounds the wise. It's foolish to the wise. So he was all about simplicity. He would not let people worship him. But unfortunately, we see this happening in the church today. The same spirit that was on Paul is, 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 is rare to find nowadays. We see celebrity preachers. You know you know the names. I'm not going to say the names, but you could, I could pop off some names, and you would immediately know who they are. Never been to the church. Never seen their church. You may not even agree with most of, them, of their doctrine. But you know them, and you've watched their shows because they're the celebrity preachers, and I have no problem with celebrity preachers. I have no problem with when well, I have problem with celebrity preachers. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is I have no problem with preachers being successful and having large churches and large influences. We need people. We need godly people who have great influence in this day and time. The problem is, is that when man begins to love that praise, uh, it sets them up for disaster. You know, personal praise. Is like a perfume. Uh, you know, it smells great. Smells amazing. But if you drink it, 
it's nasty and it'll make you sick. So, yeah, fame and fortune and celebrity is attractive and smells great. But when you ingest it, you're going to throw up, okay? You should throw up. It, it's, it's, it should uh, show you that this is not the life you should be living. But we got people drinking it and drinking it and drinking it, and they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And quite frankly, we're seeing um, the result of celebrity preachers who don't have accountability, who are not being kingdom successful. They're being personally successful, and they're being exposed in this last day because the remnant that God is raising up in this last day, mm -mm, ain't playing them games. It's going to be kingdom successful people, not man successful so just sort of pigtailing on that, the next thing I want to tell you is if you want to be kingdom successful, position yourself for kingdom success, then you need to learn how to flee and run from temptation. Flee or run from temptation. Second Timothy 2.22 says this, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on, out on the Lord of a pure heart. Peace with those who call on the on the Lord out of a pure heart. So, so temptation is a real thing for everybody. Just cause you're tempted. Don't mean you're sinning. Temptation is not always necessarily sin, but if you don't flee temptation, sin will usually result be the result. So when you feel the temptation, that temptation is, is, is a tool that God puts in your natural life to be able to see, okay, I need to bring this thought into captivity. You need to flee temptation because if you don't, sin will come. You know, there's really only one way, as I just said, to escape temptation is to run from temptation. You know, you can, you can rebuke it, you can rebuke it, but uh, the fact that it came into your life as a man or woman of God that, you know, you think you're so mighty and holy and all this guy was so, so powerful, but yet the temptation still came in, yet you still found yourself thinking, I need, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to, I want to get with her. Or I want to, I want to do that and all this. I want to take that. You know, the fact that the temptation came on you and you can identify that you're tempted uh, says that your life and, you, you know, was not enough to avoid that temptation. So the reality is this, you, in that situation, you're not as strong as you think you are. So the best thing to do is literally run. This is what James chapter 1, verse 14 says. It says, but each one is tempted, and when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Wow. So let's listen to what this says. This is the process of what I call backsliding. You know, you can debate with me in scripture all you want to about backsliding, but this is this is what I call the steps to backsliding. I believe a believer don't, you know, it's impossible a believer to just backslide in a moment. You may differ from me on that. But watch what happens when a person gets to a place of a backslidden state. First, they're tempted. Like I said, everybody's tempted. I don't care how Holy Ghost anointed you are, you're tempted. But then if you don't flee from it, the very first thing that happens is the Bible says if one is tempted, I'm reading again from James chapter 1, verse 14, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So it starts with a temptation, then it becomes a desire, and then you begin to be enticed by it. And then when desire has conceived, if you do not deal with it, it will impregnate your spirit man. 
And that's what conceive means. It will have desire. It will go from a desire temptation to now on a conception. And then if you don't deal with it, then it will bring that it will come forth and be born and it will be born. And it says it will get when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. So it just simply started with a temptation, but because you didn't flee, you were drawn away by your own desires. You were enticed. And then that desire and that enticement and that temptation became conception. And then it birthed sin and sin brought forth death. Those are the stages of backsliding. So you can't be successful in the kingdom if you're not fleeing temptation. Okay. You can't whip the devil by yourself, but you know what you can do? You can resist him. Okay. You can't just go out there and fight him physically, but the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. All right. Here's another one. Give no place. This is remember, this is positioning yourself for kingdom success. And I'm telling you, these are things that little nuggets that seem so simple, but they're not simple. Give no place to jealousy or envy at all in your life. Do not allow jealousy and envy become a part of your journey to kingdom success. New Living Translation again. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. You hear that? Jealousy is like a cancer to the bones, but a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. See, a content life, listen to me, not satisfied. You're not satisfied because you're always growing. You're always wanting to do more. You're always pushing forward. But a content life, a content attitude in your life will lengthen your life. But a life of jealousy will rot your life away. When you are jealous of the success of someone else, that has it will affect the that person you're jealous of, not at all. They're going on with their life. They're becoming more and more successful. And jealousy, instead of you, out of your jealousy, exceeding the success of the one you're jealous of, it does the opposite. They continue to be successful. You continue to get more jealous, and it rots away at what you've already built. It literally puts mildew, mold, disease, things eat away at the success that you already have. So understand, don't bring jealousy, don't bring envy. But watch this, also help others when you sense that they are jealous of you. Okay? People will be jealous of your success and the excellence of your life. They will dislike you. They will hate you simply because of the favor of God. So if you sense that, that somebody is, 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 is trying to really laud compliments on yourself, this is pigtailing on the last one as well, to not read your press reports. But stop it. You know, you don't got to rebuke them with a spirit of, of a spirit of jealousy or whatever. But let them know. Just try to bring yourself back down and encourage them. Oh, brother, man, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. I uh, mean, it's all God. It ain't me. It's all God. You know, and God can do it for you too. Those kind of things. Okay. Next one. Remember to stay positive to, and, and to say positive things about other people. Don't make it all about you. You ever been around that guy that 
He won't hear nothing about what's happening in your life, but he wants to make sure you always know what's happening in his life. Don't be that guy. Boy, I'm going to read from the message version on this one because this right here is going to hit you right between the eyes. You better get ready. James chapter 4, verse 11. <coughs> Excuse me. In the message version. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. My God. God is, I'm still reading from the message version, verse 12, James chapter 4. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? Do not speak evil against each other, my dear brothers and sisters. Wow. Don't badmouth each other, friends. That's the way it starts out, James 4, 11. Don't badmouth each other, each other, friend. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating with that kind of talk. Man, that'll preach right there. Everyone likes to be around a positive person. No, negative people and gossip people will suck the life out of you. You ever know that person when you know you're just everybody's laughing, cutting up, having a good time? I mean, it's not that you hate the person, but when you see them coming, okay, you know the giant sucking sound is coming, like the giant vacuum cleaner. It's gonna suck the life, suck the air, suck the the joy right out of that room. Why? Because you know how they're gonna come in talking. Negative. Words mean things. The power of life and death is in your tongue, y'all. You know, let, let, let me just say this too. Be careful what you say around your children and to your children. Your children don't need to hear your baggage. Your children don't need to hear problems that you have with, with the church. They don't need to hear you have what, how you feel about brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. You need to get in the privacy of your home with your spouse and Talk these things out. Quit talking about all, quit emptying all your garbage and all your issues in front of your children. Because I'm going to tell you something, they're like a little tape recorder. Okay? Remember, after all this, is after the bottom line is this, kingdom success is about Jesus. After all that was done to Jesus, he said nothing negative about a single person when he was on the cross. In fact, he looked down from the cross, and the very man that drove nails, spikes through his wrist and through his feet, he said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Stephen, when he was being stoned and killed by people throwing stones at him, spoke nothing negative about his murders. The Bible said he had a face of an angel. Okay? And the last thing I want to tell you is this before we get ready to close this podcast out. is. You need a purpose in your heart. You, you know, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Let me sum it all up in one little statement here. Is that if you will purpose in your heart, if you will set your eyes on the prize, that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody does, no matter what happens to you, you're going to be consistent in your calling You'll do it. I said it earlier, having all to stand, stand. Sandy and I have had to do that many times. We've had to, Sandy and I have endured so many attacks against our character. You know, but we had to stand. I know many of you have been attacked by family and coworkers of, you know, uh, about what you believe. 
about your ministry, about your business. People have mocked you. You remember um, Sanballat and Tobiah when they mocked Nehemiah as he's rebuilding the wall? They'd say things like, ooh, look at that wall you're building. Ooh, that wall's nothing. has no strength to it whatsoever. A little animal crawl upon that wall and the whole thing would fall. But they kept building. They kept, pur- they kept their purpose. In fact, it, it steeled his determination even more. He went up there and he said, listen to me, you put a sword in one hand, you put a hammer in the other hand, and you keep building. And no matter what, don't come off that wall. I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a kingdom success, if you want to position yourself for kingdom success, I could give you principle after principle after principle after principle. But here's the biggest one. Keep the sword in one hand. Keep the hammer in the other. And know that God loves consistency. Remember he said, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over much. Consistency is the key to it all. Find what the Lord calls a success and just be consistent in it. I have determined to focus on the kingdom and not let the world drag me down. What about you? I have determined that I will be a success for God. What about you? I am a success for God. And I'm getting closer and closer every day. Speak that over your life. Say it. I am the hands and feet of Christ. I am a success for God. And here's the last thing you want to say. And I'm just getting started i'm in position i'm under the spout where the glory is coming out thank you for joining me on the remnant leadership podcast make sure you follow this podcast make sure you give us a five-star review and make sure you share this podcast see you next time we love you for more information about our ministry go to larryraglin.tv peace